0: Hello and welcome to 21st Century Vitalism, a podcast asking the question, what does it mean to be fully alive in the 21st century? And how can we best embody that aliveness while dealing with the unique stressors that are only found in this strange and potent time? I'm your host, Brett Kane. I'm a licensed massage therapist and mindfulness meditation instructor. And joining me today to help answer this question is my friend and fellow podcaster, Michael Garfield. For the uninitiated, Michael is a paleontologist slash futurist who, in his own words, is a midwife to a new myth, helping to articulate our emergent planetary culture and integrate art, science, and philosophy in a new way suited to our accelerating age. Uh, For those of you who are unfamiliar with his work, uh, he's the host of Future Fossils podcast, and the Santa Fe Institute's complexity podcast. If you don't know the Santa Fe Institute, they're the independent research center which pioneered the science of studying complex systems. That was back in 1984. He's also an artist of pretty widely renowned and a musician who makes really cool cyber acoustic live looped Audio journeys that I have been enjoying since 2013. So, in this episode, what we're going to be talking about is navigating collapse, societal collapse, in all the ways that that manifests. So, this is something that I find to be very important as we're in the 21st century, as a lot of the world's systems are starting to tremble underneath the weight of all of the momentum of the past 200 years. It takes a lot of work to be able to have a context for these failing systems in a way that actually gives us hope and optimism rather than depression and dismay. So I think it's important that as we address the work that is on our plates that was handed to us from generations prior, that we are honest and we look very clearly at what is happening, but also create potential maps towards a a world that we can actually sustain and live in. So with Michael's work, um, primarily talking about technology and the evolution of culture and art um, and complex systems, we really dive into a lot of how we got to this certain point, some of the evolutionary things that have happened with the dawn of the digital age. So how we've co-evolved with our technologies and how they've influenced us and what happens when innovation becomes the issue and we can't innovate our way out of it. So there's a lot, a lot on offer here. Michael is an incredible wealth of resource on all things um, mind-bending. Uh, we talk about the idea of creative destruction. We talk about what exactly societal collapse will look like and how do we best orient ourselves in the face of these rapidly changing times, how we've traded community for the internet, and how that's not inherently a bad thing, but we have to be able to balance these forces within ourselves and remember that we are terrestrial beings which have very terrestrial needs. Uh, We talk about addressing the global problems by stepping beyond our linear thinking and parenting in the digital age which is something very boots on the ground that we can all learn from uh, the way that we allow our kids to uh, come into contact with uh, tools that are wildly known to manipulate our, our hormone systems and our endocrine systems and you know get us addicted to our dopamine so this is a really meaty conversation it's one that as I've been editing I've been like pausing and like chewing on I you know I was here obviously it's you know my show and every time I'm listening and tuning in I'm getting more and more out of it for those of you who know Terrence McKenna I've considered Michael one of the offshoots of that legacy and uh it holds up he's He's a fascinating person, and it was really a treat for me to be able to tune in and ask him some questions that have been burning on my on my mind. On just I, you know, I got worried, I got concerned, and uh, bards such as him are able to really um, not throw away the severity of the situation, but to bring it into balance and harmony with a a view that is actually very productive and uh, uplifting. And I think that that's important that we have folks who are able to hold all the complexity of the world and to be able to articulate it in a way that is digestible, digestible, I can talk, that's fine. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing today, guys. Uh, this was a really fun episode for me, um, so I won't take up too much time. So before we get started, if you want to support the show, uh, head on over to Apple Podcast, give us a review. Um, let me know what you're thinking and feeling about uh, the episodes that are coming out. We're getting a lot of momentum now. I also do have a Patreon started. That is the most direct way that you can support. So that's going to be patreon.com slash 21st Century Vitalism. Right now, the rewards, it's just early supporter stuff. Once I reach a certain threshold of listeners, I have an entire rollout of um Different ways that you can engage with the show. We're going to be doing a bonus talk show uh, called 21st Century Vitalism After Hours, which is going to be a lot more loose, a lot more lax. we are not going to be studying topics as much as I'm just going to be chatting with friends and getting into the free flow of expression that um, is always a lot of fun. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to be doing um, monthly, if not weekly meditations. Uh, We're going to be diving into books together. Uh, I, I have a whole lot So once we get the viewership threshold, we're gonna be having a lot of fun together. Um, Head on over to YouTube, subscribe, like, comment, all that stuff, Instagram, Facebook, any interaction that you do with the show will definitely boost the numbers. And let me know what you think, genuinely. Head on over to the website, 21stCenturyVitalism.com. Shoot me an email, it's all linked through there. Uh, Any feedback, I'd love to hear from you how the show is landing, maybe some potential growth points. You know, this is a community project in my eyes. Um, Me and every, I consider every episode a collaboration, you know, we're trying to get information out to you, the listener that I think is important. So my role is curator, it's a DJ of personalities and all of these perspectives that I'm bringing to you, in my view, are very important for living a well rounded life with the unique stressors that we're facing. So I think Michael, I mean, this is the tip of his iceberg. He has so much to offer on the topics that we cover today. And I really encourage you to check out Future Fossils. It's a really cool show. Uh, definitely mind-expanding to the umpteenth degree. So, yeah, check him out on there. They have a really thriving Facebook group as well, and I know he's also got a Discord. Um, I know if you want to get plugged into his stuff, Patreon is his primary vehicle driving forward. That's where you're going to get a lot of his bonus content. Um, And it's just an aggregate of all of his immense bodies of work. This dude is a factory of novelty. He's just pumping out just art and philosophy and music it's he's a force of nature truly as you can tell from the music that's been playing in the background which is his track delta pavonis from pavo music for mystery so thank you so much for listening kick back do some stretches drink some tea and open your heart for my friend michael garfield All right, Michael Garfield, we are now live. Uh, I just want to start by saying thank you for uh, giving me some of your time. I know it's early where you're at in the mountain time. So uh, how, how's life? How are you doing these days?
1: I'm doing all right. I am a month away from my second child, and I'm in the midst of a really, really interesting summer program, the, the Diverse Intelligences Summer Institute. Uh, Jacob Foster and Eric Cartmill at UCLA. I met them at the Santa Fe Institute's Interplanetary Festival in twenty nineteen, and hit it off. And they host this thing that is normally in Scotland at the University of St Andrews, where they bring all these people together to explore the the puzzle of intelligence from every possible angle, and uh, early career scientists and Science communicators get a couple of weeks in the cooker with each other, and 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 just magical things happen. But you know it's remote this year, and that's that has its perks. Uh, it also has some pretty intense drawbacks. But I'm I'm grateful to be involved. And then as we were discussing before we got on the call, I after probably 17 years without a video game console, just uh, at the suggestion of my wife, picked up a Nintendo Switch and have been initiating her into something that only superficially resembles the video games that I grew up with. Uh, So it's been an interesting kind of reintegration phase at the same time that I'm at, the, you know, it's funny how like that feels like the comfort of, like the safe zone as I'm like, break, like breaking myself against the, uh, the growth edge of all this other stuff, you know, not to mention everything that's going on at work. So that's me. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I just, uh, been doing a lot of meditation practice. I, Um, I don't know, we haven't talked in a long time. I don't know if we've ever had like a formal conversation. I've just been kind of that guy on social media that's like, hey, good job over there for the past like decade. (laughs) But um, yeah, I uh, became a meditation instructor and I've been really diving into the world of Buddhism, um, doing body work and uh, this podcast. Um, So I really wanted to start off, actually first, before I had my like, what I wanted to start off with that conference thing that you're talking about actually sounds really interesting uh the pressure cooker of studying intelligence um before we go forward with what i wanted i'm just kind of curious is that specifically human intelligence or is that kind of like the intelligence of nature and it as its own phenomena
1: i mean it's broadly broadly construed uh there are artificial intelligence people in there there are people studying orangutans and cockatoos and whales and children and you know, even even at human intelligence the the number of angles by which you can approach this is pretty uh, prodigious. It's, you know, you've got language and psychology and embodied cognition and the uh, the you know the physics of consciousness i mean they've done a really good job actually of curating a a uniquely diverse group of speakers i'm i'm i'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised at uh, how much variety i'm experiencing in this lineup it's uh it's something
0: yeah it's kind of weird it's kind of expanding the definition of intelligence and changing the way we think about it to be like it's almost like this like self-organizing complexity that's already innate in nature that is manifest in all these different forms so it's cool that we're having all these directed looks at it that incorporate every element of that that sounds really fascinating actually yeah Yeah, so I wanted to start off by asking, when I first came across you and your platform, you had this idea, this was back in 2013. Um, I originally saw you at the Rootwire Festival, so that's my introduction, Um, and you had this idea that has really stuck with me and I've kind of like brought up in different conversations when talking about technology. And that was that we are in this intermediate phase where, as humans, we're trying to figure out how we interact with technology in a healthy way. And you made the analogy of, like, a baby with a toy hammer that was doing everything wrong with it before it could figure out what it was doing with the hammer. It was, like, sucking on it and, like, throwing it around. So eight years later, with the amount of development, do you still think that that is an idea that holds water, or do you think technology has a different connotation than that now.
1: No, I mean, I, without direct reference to whatever I was saying at that time, I think what I was likely getting at is that evolution in general, which is a, a you know a, a process of uh, exploration and adaptation, and uh, you know, optimization and, and creativity and like all all of these things are are ingredients in that that intelligence that we were just talking about broadly construed as a uh, you know natural process in which you know everything is is happening. Uh, te- you know, our our relationship to technology is fraught. It's iterative. It's bumbling. It's uh, exploratory and quizzical and, uh, you know, only partially intended. And that's not unique to this time. I mean, that's like baked into like what it is and, and how it came to be in the first place and how we came to be in the first place. You know, everything is, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful term, Stephen J. Gould and Elizabeth Verba, uh, coined this term exaptation, which is when you appropriate a feature for a, a, a use for which it was not originally adapted and you know honestly i think that this is probably everything in evolution emerges sort of spontaneously and then finds its function right and then and then is constantly rediscovering new functions and likewise everything you know so it's you know everything is Constantly being jostled into a new context, in which it takes on a new life, and discovers, you know, and there thereby creating an opportunity for uh, the the agents involved in this process of co-discovery to uh, to find new meaning, new you know meaning being, kind of maybe formally something like what uh my buddy artemy kolchinsky at santa fe institute talks about semantic information which is like uh very specifically the information that is pertinent to the survival of a system you know and and so you can talk about everything in your life being suffused with meaning well of course. Every, you know, everything in your life is fused with meaning because everything you're aware of is something that at one time scale, at one layer of this ongoing learning process, uh, your, your body has decided is pertinent, whether it's, you know, evolutionary or developmental or cultural, you know, you've got, uh, you know you're aware of it, therefore, it has it has meaning to you. Kind of, you know, and then and then those things that do not uh, the, the the truly novel, you know, the the truly uh, unprecedented things have meaning uh, precisely because of the contrast to everything that you know. You know what what Gregory Bateson called the difference that makes a difference. So you know, it's, there's no escaping meaning in that respect. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think we are, I think, I think I'm on the same tip I was eight years ago in that regard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that there is any like fail state that's kind of like potential with this kind of fumbling forward and finding new meaning as it arises? Do you think that there's maybe a point where it's like, oh, we've like went down the wrong evolutionary track and now we're actually like devolving. And I I think of that primarily in reference. I mean, we had like the social dilemma documentary that came out we all know now, like the nature of social media specifically and how it has kind of hijacked like our hormone system and like the end or the endocrine system. And now we're like becoming like super reliant in kind of like a gross way on it. Do you think that there's, I mean, that'll just create new conditions for new potentialities. But do, do you think that this process with the, the the speediness of how technology is evolving, is there a chance that like the thing can just explode in our face? Or do you kind of have an innate trust in us being able to accommodate and adapt?
1: Oh, no, it's a serious problem. Uh, we have, I mean, f- first of all, like cumulative cultural evolution is you know, the the recombinant creativity of being able to remix and modify and adapt and extend somebody else's innovations is uh, by its nature, a process that not only bestows us with this in this amazing inheritance, you know, that, that we come into the world and, you know, you and I were born into a world with mathematics and vehicles and language and, you know, el- electrical infrastructure and plumbing and all this, you know, libraries and all this stuff. But, but also uh, the learning curve <laughs> for all this stuff is immense. And the, uh the rate at which all of those things are interacting outpaces any person's ability to catch up to that. you know So I mean, at a very basic fundamental level, like you know aside social media and, and like stuff that's been going on in our lifetimes aside, uh, we are definitely wily coyoteing, like we're like well over the cliff and still running you know here um i think there's a pretty strong argument that humans have not been in control of civilization from its beginning you know that like the very nature of civilization is that civilization is is the dominant causal agent in this situation you know that that uh As soon as all of us are attending are participating in it, then, uh, our relationships to each other are kind of subordinate to our relationships to civilization itself. But, you know, uh, nonetheless, we have reached a a kind of apogee or so it, it seems with, with this stuff where. The rate, you know, and and people, it's, 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 it's the thing that really scares me, honestly, is, is that how few people understand this, how few people get that, uh, that, um, we are not going to just be able to innovate our way out of this situation, because innovation is the situation, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that, that like yeah. this, that, that what's happening is that we are, we're in a, uh, we're in a crisis of, of creativity, of, of, you know, where creativity is uh, begetting more creativity. And that is what is disrupting and destabilizing things. And that, ultimately you know i'm i'm in the midst of writing a piece right now about how the childlike nature of the human being when you look at the human compared to everyone else on this planet you know all other organisms it seems like the human has repeatedly selected has like doubled down again and again and again on childlike fleck uh, plasticity, uh, warmth, openness, curiosity, playfulness you know these are these are noisy generalist lateral strategies that have aided us immensely in our socialization and our, ultimately our domestication of ourselves. And uh, you know you see this in in any animal that we domesticate, You know, becomes kind of more like us in in a way, uh, which it's there's like a core kit of features that makes something interoperable, and that interoperability is uh, a, a a you know how we adapt to a rapidly changing environment that we have created and so I think increasingly we are going to be called upon to become even more unfinished even more playful even more childlike and open-ended and metamorphic and to accept a lack of resolution to some of these questions. Um, but, I mean, but at the same time, you know, there are there are uh, very serious concerns about the whole thing. Not, I shouldn't say the whole thing coming down, because you know, people tend to view collapse in very black and white terms, right? And you know it that's not precise enough to be helpful you know we need to we need to talk about specifically what we you know what do we mean when we talk about things falling apart
0: so do you think that that is potentially maybe the current growing point that we really need to be accommodating right now That's something that I've considered a lot in terms of like the way we view collapse and the way we view the future is largely dictated by the art that we're consuming. And I've said it a few times on the show, but I think uh, especially like the 2010s, I noticed a lot of what I called like apocalypse fetish where a lot of the media that we were taking in was, I mean, The Walking Dead was like the biggest show. And what that, what's that about? It's about like killing your neighbor and like not trusting anybody. And we're like very primed and ready for this like very, as you said, it's not black and white, but we're very primed for this like black reality. Do you think it takes potentially leaning into that open-ended creativity and envisioning a new future in that one that we can actually model after? Or how would you say we respond to that? Well,
1: I mean, I- there is uh, working at the santa fe institute I've, i have become acquainted with the oft cited work of this austrian economist joseph schumpeter who talks about uh, creative destruction he was the uh, somebody who who thought about the evolution of technology and the way that you know technologies appear in such a way as to obsolete previous systems of technology you know so when you get internal combustion it it kind of pushes the entire steam engine ecosystem to the side you know i mean it's not gone it's just been marginalized you know it's 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 been pushed to the edge of the graph and when that happens, everything around the steam engine also gets pushed to the edge of the graph, you know, or like you can think about, I mean, just as a very simple example, uh, you know, we've got our current electrical infrastructure requires us plugging things into walls, you know, but like Nikola Tesla wanted to beam wireless electricity all over the planet. And so if you know were that to happen suddenly we would have you know thousands of tons of cables and plugs that we don't need anymore and you know what happens to that stuff uh you know there's there's this this displacement going on and um i think people are not taught about creativity in a kind of non-dual way that creativity is an act of destruction that you know creativity always requires resources you know you like me as a kid you know my mom took me to the 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 office supply store and she's like oh it's back to school and you smell all the new paper and the the pens and stuff and you're like, Oh, it's new. Ah, it's great. It's like, no, it came from somewhere,
0: you know, yeah. Like, it,
1: this is something that was made from something else that had to be destroyed in order to make this brand new thing that you can then use to, you know, so it's, you know, it's just really a question of, uh, the, you know, as we create more, what are we destroying in order to create more? And I think we're at the point now as a species that we have developed the rudiments of some sense about this. And and uh, it's just a question of how much we must continue to... Yeah, how how much this thing that's waking up to itself uh, will undermine itself before <laughs> it finally ma- finds a way to regulate this process such that it can continue to mulch its own uh, products I- without you know, like cutting off the tree branch that we're standing on, basically. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, I mean, and again, that's like too simple, too linear uh, an example. I mean, I really I really do think that we are, we are undermining ourselves in very dangerous ways and we're going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of, there has been and will continue to be a lot of collateral damage from stakeholding non-human beings that had no say in this uh you know but i don't i don't think we're going to destroy the biosphere completely i don't think we're going to destroy ourselves completely um and i just I, i deeply hope that we don't make it severely worse than it is but at the same time, I mean, just to get like completely real that, uh, you know, even the most conservative climate models now are talking about there being, you know, hundreds of millions to billions of people displaced by climate change before the end of the century, you know, where we have the, the, the areas that are the major bread baskets of the world, if you know, in that economic term are going to be uh, uninhabitably hot. And the, the colder areas that will become super fertile economic zones uh, are themselves currently carbon sinks where, you know, because of the permafrost, they're, they're, they've managed to keep a lot of that dead matter in the ground. Uh, constantly, and that stuff is going to be re-entering, the, and it, so that even like that's going to amplify. And so we really don't know. We really don't know how to adapt to this kind of a a, a, a new environment. Um, and it's it's not going to be as simple as just moving things poleward you know because at the poles you, you know the this this you got 24 hours of sun in the summer and, and no sun in the winter it's like it's a different world as you move into the the higher latitudes you know and uh there are it, it's not just about like productivity it's also you know when we think about like agriculture like i inter i, I recently interviewed mark ritchie of, of of syracuse university for the complexity podcast which i do, I, I do for work uh, and he was talking about like plant enzyme activity and how there's a regime where at first you know plus a, a, a plant cells are limited by the amount that they can produce but then it's limited by the amount that they can actually distribute uh, you know as you as you ramp things up and then eventually even if the distribution networks are all optimized there may be so much uh, entropy like there's a point at which in the model at least things are hot enough outside of the plant that photosynthesis runs in reverse you know so (laughs) It's like like the plant the plant becomes like clogged with its own photosynthetic byproducts and so the 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 the, the, uh, the reactions run backwards. You know, so we we're we're in a we're we're over the rainbow. We really do not know how to how to adjust to this stuff. It's not as simple as just genetically modifying things to thrive in a new environment or you know, I mean we cannot we cannot think in those linear ways anymore and uh yeah there's going to be it's funny as a as a parent to have to like walk this tightrope between yes like yes things are really crazy uh but also we have some opportunity now that we never had before. We have the knowledge that we didn't. You know, as as a parent, I I have the potential to do a, a much much more informed and and conscientious job of parenting uh, in some respects than my parents did. I mean, it's I don't I don't think I love my my kids any more than they did. You know, my parents did the best they could, and I, I thank them for it every day. Um, but, you know, we have an option to, to, uh, sense things a little bit more deeply. And I have to, I have to believe that this, you know, not, you know, living in a world in which, you know, you don't have it figured out is a good thing. You know, rather than just mm-hmm. assuming, like like my parents did. Oh well, the doctor told us this, and there, you know, that was that was a world in which things were like relatively slow and cold compared to our world. <laughs> you know, where it's like yeah. such a thing as yeah. such a thing as a a a clean, easy final medical authority was, mm-hmm. you know, something you could like hang your hat on, and uh, now we are exposed to the the gruesome sausage making of of scientific fact and a lot of people can't hang with it you know a lot of people are you know like they won't they won't get the vaccine because you know they 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 want things to be like a you know a done deal like settled and it's like well i'm sorry to tell you nothing has ever really been settled You know, it's just, uh, it's just a a comfortable lie that all of us have been cruising on for our entire lives. You know, it's like, like actually Santa Claus is real, but Santa Claus is this, you know, the reality of Santa Claus is that Santa Claus is this like hyper object of people's beliefs and like commercial, uh, you know, like civilization scale processes, like, you know, all these supply chains and International manufacturing stuff and, and <laughs> like people's beliefs and behavioral patterns. And like, that's a thing. That's a real thing in the world. Uh, but it's not like a guy in a coat coming down your chimney, you know, it's it, it except in the sense of like maybe, yeah. you know, that, that being an extended, uh, metaphor for, you know, your, the way that this was sort of injected into your brain as a kid. Anyway, yeah. that's a yeah. hell of a rant
0: no that was that was good that was juicy um i think what's really important as we're navigating and i mean it's really hard for a lot of people to even be in the same room as other folks who are like hey so like collapse is a potentiality like the way that we view life is not forever you know there's a level of impermanence there and i think it's just really important to be like on the nose with it and to be able to explore it from as many different vantage points as possible Just something I'm trying to do with this show, you know, there's it's kind of a buckshot of all these different thinking Because I think that that's like the best way to do it And I think as we're priming people and kind of lubing up the gears for people to be able to like focus on this I I really want to quote Terrence McKenna He said something along the lines of uh, to be anything but optimistic is fatalistic so i really like that you're able to like look at all of the moving parts of like okay so like we are definitely on the verge of some big happening we don't really know what it is but like life is going to change as we know it but to act in a way as if we are going to be okay at the end of it, you know. On the other side of it, it will be vastly different, but we are going to be okay and intact and whole to some degree, you know. Like the level of wholeness that allows us to operate effectively in the world isn't going to be compromised. I think it's really important to also point that out, because otherwise people get really overwhelmed with the idea that you know, I mean, we might have to kill Santa off. This entire like system that you just explained you know like that is something i mean who knows you know who knows what i mean if capitalism fails you know in its current state you know this has to be something that we're like ready to take on you know and it's also really interesting that you mentioned the the ever expansion of like creativity and childlike openness you did i I don't want to speak for it but did you say that that was kind of the issue right now is that we're constantly Doing that? Well,
1: I mean, I think it's, it's an adaptation to okay. the situation that we've created in the same way that language, as we understand it, you know, language as a, as like, you know, a, a syntactical form of communication and a structured form in which we're not just, you know, grunting, we're, we're not using, you know, one one sound or one symbol to encompass an entire event. And then we have a, a, an inventory of vocalizations, each of which means a specific thing. And, you know, we've inherited all of these things as they are. No, what we have is a situation of, of recombinant parts that we can assemble in new ways and every time we do it opens a new it unlocks some new terrain of possibility and you know what what uh, Stuart Kaufman calls the adjacent possible you know and the, and the more uh, of that recombination that goes on the more of the the more the perimeter of the adjacent possible expands and so it's this ratcheting thing right and so because of that, you know, the, possi- the possible is taking a more and more prominent position all of the time, you know. And so it makes sense to lean in to the possibility, uh, you know, maybe I'm, I, I do think that there is what, what, uh, my buddy Mark Nelson, who was one of the eight people who was locked inside Biosphere Two for two years, you know this this massive ecological experiment trying to reproduce the the uh, all, you know, five major biomes inside of a gr- giant greenhouse in Arizona, basically. It's and Pauly Shore there too. <laughs> that was that was <laughs> actually part of a uh, a a. a an internationally coordinated smear campaign against this project. But um, yeah, so, but no, the, I mean, this was, again, you know, Biosphere 2 happened in the 90s when science itself was, you know, understood as uh, you have a hypothesis, you run an experiment, you you test this thing, you get a yes or no answer. It wasn't like what they were doing, which was this, we're going to, Enclose people in this thing for, you know, two years, 50 times in a row and over a hundred years, we'll figure out all of the things that we don't know. You know, it was, it was something much more like the way we think about ecological research or artificial intelligence, you know, uh, a, a, a theory light approach to science. Where you know that you don't know all of the the relevant variables, you know, or like uh, what I just recorded a conversation with uh, Brian Arthur about his piece, Economics and Nouns and Verbs, where he says that, you know, if you use algebra to describe the economy, all your variables are pre specified. And so it's not actually giving you an accurate model of the economy because the economy is all about endogenous novelty production. You know, it's all Game about, <laughs> yeah, it's all about this re- this recombinant po- generation of possibilities. So you need algorithms to, you know, there are certain things that algebra can do well, but you also need verbs to talk about something that is fundamentally process-based. And um, Mark Nelson says, in in future fossils episode ninety three I think ninety three ninety four something somewhere in there he says uh, that optimism is a yoga you know because it's I mean it's not it's not like it's it's not about the ontological state of the world it's not about the th- way the way that things are out there it's about knowing that you are th- like one of these mice that an experimenter has dropped into a bucket to see how long they will swim before they give up. And mice with some hope swim longer and mice without any hope drown, you know? And so it's very pragmatic as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's not, it's, it's not about what I think is going to happen. It's about what I think strategically is going to give me the best chances of contributing meaningfully in a way to improve the situation. You know, like it it you have to be optimistic in a kind of instrumental or cynical kind of way. Yeah. Um in order in order to really you know do something of value, you know, and in, in order to to persist and and uh you know keep racing. So yeah
0: wow yeah i almost feel it's like this like opening creative tendency this like demi urge of expansion and curiosity is i I kind of associate it really similarly to like the exhale of respiration and then like the inhale is kind of like the conservative conservatism like the structure of things and that's kind of like what like our political structure is based on is like openness maintaining and right now like when we talk about this idea of like Perpetually opening and needing to do that. I also think of like, so, like, what are the structures that are like, how are we maintaining the actual structures that are protecting this kind of, you know, um, exhalation, you know? So, like, yeah, I don't know, I just think that that's, that's a really interesting thing because I notice a lot in our discourse right now. And I think it's important that we're doing this, but we are questioning all of the structures. And I think that that's like an important impulse to have when we see so much like systemic injustice and things. But I just wonder how much, how much structure can we start chopping away before we start to, I mean, yeah, we're like opening into this known future, but like we also have nowhere that we're standing now, which is probably good if we don't have anywhere solid to stand because that does keep us more flexible. But I don't know. Do you have anything on the nature of maintaining structure as well?
1: Well, I mean, I think the turbulence we're experiencing now has been well characterized by many other people as a kind of phase transition you know to to borrow a a physics concept and and I think it is a literal phase transition in the organization of something from basically like if you think about okay let me let me give you an example we think about ants right ants we tend to think of ants as there are ants with different body types and each of those body types fulfills a particular role and the roles are you know they're born into it you know that's an it's like i am this this is you know this is what i do that's not how it works in ants uh, ants as a distributed computer <laughs> basically are constantly reallocating tasks And how quickly they reallocate tasks depends on the maturity of the anthill, actually. So, like earlier on, when there are fewer ants, there are, you know, like fewer hands to do the necessary amount of work, basically, or fewer mandibles. So, ants are reallocating to different tasks more frequently than they do when an, an ant colony is mature. And, and it's like, you think about your brain is it kind of the same way, you know, as your, as your brain ages, things get entrenched, you know, the paths of thought that you, that you walk are well worn. And so, you know, I think if you look at, again, to, you know, to talk about what this means for us as like, what are we as human beings? I think... We are we are social for the, the same reason that ants are you know um, as a way of collaborating at the at the scale of societies and, and, and civilizations and that requires uh, a fluidity or immutability of us as individuals that was that's not necessary for like a badger, you know, like a badger just is a badger. And, you know, but like at the same time, both humans and badgers evolved from something like the closest, the closest out group to vertebrates uh, are tunicates, these sea squirts. These are organisms that start in their, their larval form is a free swimming thing with a head and a tail and then as it matures it settles down and it it, uh, anchors itself to a rock and it starts filter feeding loses the head because you don't need a head if you're not moving around you don't need to orient yourself in space you know so if you know if the environment is stable enough that you know where that like every day you know, what the tide's going to come in and I'm going to be able to just sit here with my mouth open and feed, get fed. Then you never really need to develop. You know, you don't need to keep your head into adulthood, but like as the, as the world becomes more turbulent, uh, it makes sense to keep the head longer until you're a fish. Right. And so there's, you know, there's this, I you know one way of describing this decision point is the question of in what ways is the is the environment stable enough that I do not have to make the decision myself that I'm 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 capable of I'm comfortable allowing the decision to be made for me and you know you could talk about this as like Google Maps deciding the path the route you're going to take to work you know you're going to let Google Maps do the thinking for you because you trust that the infrastructure is stable enough that you're gonna oh you're gonna like look at your phone and Google Maps is gonna work. And that may not always be the case. you know it <laughs> so like it, you know so so uh, you know, just bear that in mind that it probably it's probably wise to keep in an especially turbulent world uh, some reserve of geopositional awareness, uh so that you aren't completely screwed if the GPS system comes down which doesn't seem likely but you know like there are situations in which that could happen like a massive solar flare uh could do that and you know and then there's the other strategy uh you know besides like decephalization and s- what uh this paper that I love information theory of individuality talks about environmental scaffolding and like what, what is the difference between a colonial organism and something that is more kind of conventionally understood as an individual is that for the colonial organism, more of the information is in the environment. Again, like the, you know, the, the, the landscape determines how often the ants in an anthill are going to reallocate tasks in in large part, you know, the landscape determines how much attention i'm going to give to the taxonomy of local flora and fauna you know people in cities don't don't have the same kind of inventory of of words for the number like they don't they don't recognize as many trees or animal species or or herbs as as people who are more dependent on foraging obviously obviously mm-hmm. you know And, you know, so, you know, the other leaning the other way is about uh, the assumption of personal responsibility in some sense. You know, it's, it's, you have to find your own food, you have to swim to it, but that enables coordination at a scale that was, is, is like, different in a meaningful way you know if you think about like a school of fish being in some other way you know in 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 many ways like the ants in that it is a distribu it is collective behavior it's a distributed computation everybody's only locally aware of what their neighbors are doing and the whole thing emerges out of this ma- this awesome you know bottom-up self-coordinated process but uh ultimately also each of those Fish is also responsible for its own reproduction, you know, and, and it's responsible for feeding itself. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I think, yeah, we're we're just at a we're we're at a a, a a an inflection point right now where those two strategies are going to be remixed in a lot of new and curious ways. And we're not going to completely lose the ground of the familiar. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not, it's It's not like there's going to be this overnight qualitative shift into something completely unrecognizable. But as the ground beneath us morphs, into something else that, I mean, it's not one ground. It's like, there's all these different ways that we are relying on stable environmental features. And some of those features, you know, if you talk about like William Gibson saying, Oh, you know, the dystopia has, is here. It's our, it's just distributed unevenly. You know, the, you know, the end of the world, it's not, one world that we're talking about here it's the end of the familiar which is going to be different for everybody uh and if you're you know indigenous or if you're a person of color chances are you've been living in the apocalypse for centuries already you know and and uh, you talk to native americans and they don't have the same kind of concern about the approaching crisis or the, you know, the ongoing crisis that settler descendants do um, because the trauma in their memory is much more recent, you know, and they're used to a world that is, you know, repeatedly ripped out from under you. So, you know, it's just, uh, and, you know, to live through something like that, in sense a different way of living in this in this world and 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 a different way of navigating its its spaces and uh so yeah i think really my my concern is primarily not so much about innovating new strategies for navigating this stuff as it is about distributing tested strategies for mitigating the amount of suffering and, and trauma that would otherwise happen when uh, the rug is pulled from under people, you know, how can, how can we make ourselves as resilient or, you know, Anti-fragile, to to borrow Nassim Taleb's term. You know how can how can we grow stronger from the shocks, rather than dis, you know decay into infighting and and substance abuse and all the other you know byproducts of living in the wake of uh, you know a, a, a massive disruption to everything that we we held dear. Yeah.
0: So what do you think, um, off the top of your head is kind of the the battleground of building resiliency that do you think that it's found within nature? Do you think that uh I mean it's not maybe not gonna be like a technological thing if we can't innovate our way there, but do you think it kind of as again McKenna said, like the archaic revival, do you think it's gonna be kind of finding our footing on the earth as it is rather than in these digital spaces as This entire next generation, I don't know what your uh, rule is going to be with your children in terms of like tablet use, but I know that that's like starting to be like a thing, like kids are getting ingratiated into the digital age at increasingly young ages. So do you think it's going to be balancing that out with taking an herbalism class or like learning how to forage, or do you think there's somewhere in the middle there that, what do you, yeah, what do you think?
1: Well, I think uh, it's about having a repertoire right so i think that people who deny their children either side of that spectrum are placing a rather large bet on the future you know on you know they're 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 staking a particular opinion about the future and for me the you know i look at throughout earth history at periods of of massive disruption you know mass extinctions mass extinctions favor generalists you know generalists are not especially well fed in mature ecosystems where you know everything is highly specialized and attuned and everything exists in these like you know very ornate ba- symbiotic balances. But, you know, you hit that with a meteor or, you know, some endogenous shock comes along like the evolution of flowers and completely transforms all terrestrial landscapes. And I think that's something more akin to what we have going on right now with technology is is like flowers, you know, that we are moving from, you know, a landscape of conifers to a landscape of flowering plants and all of the new symbiotic opportunities that, that those create, all the new niches that those open, and if you, and you know, if you're specialized to navigate, a, you know, a particular specific landscape. I mean, come on, like a lot of those ancient specialists, like the stromatolite, which is like this, you know, this uh, billions and billions of years old bacterial colony that that now can only live in the saltiest parts of the ocean um you know these like bays in australia because snails don't live there you know snails just murdered stromatolites all over the world um you know there's lots of examples of little you know places where holdouts remain you know where Living fossils like the coelacanth off the coast of Madagascar in really deep waters, you know they they weren't able to ha- they weren't able to cut it with you know everything else that has evolved in the last tens of millions of years. But they they've got this like they've got their nook, you know. Um, but if you really want to th- if you want to thrive in this kind of a you know metamorphic landscape then it makes sense to hedge bets. It makes sense to adopt what in simpler, more consistent, stabler times would be considered a, a wasteful, inefficient strategy, which is to learn to be more like a raccoon or something. And like, you know, learn to, to catch as catch can. And, and so to, you know, I think it's, I think that the core competencies that I want to teach my kids are more about, being able to shape shift, essentially, you know, being able to find their way amidst high technological environments as well as very low technological environments, you know, uh, to to move and to know how to gear shift from the very slow to the very fast and back, you know. I was, again, I was, you know. Uh, in in my reacclimation to the video gaming environment this weekend, you know, after playing several rounds of Mario Kart Grand Prix, I was like, "All right, I feel like an X-Wing fighter. Now let me go let's let's go for a walk. Let's yeah. go for a walk around the neighborhood and like reacquaint ourselves with slow and physical space and flowers. And yet, you know, my way of navigating my my local environment now heavily leans on Google lens because that's the the best way I know how to identify all of the, the uh, native plants that are growing out of the sidewalk in my neighborhood. And like all the cool, beautiful flowers in my neighbor's yards that I might want to harvest the seeds from and plant in our own yard. You know, you can just like point your phone at something and let it tell you what this thing is, you know, because unfortunately we have, you know, one of the, the sort of byproducts of building out all of these amazing systems of conveniences that you know we have we have scooped out that mesoscopic human terrain in which we depended on our neighbors. And so you just like ask your neighbor to tell you about all these plants. You know your grand, your grand, you lived with your grandmother your whole life, and your grandmother would tell you what all this stuff is. And my grandmothers are dead, but even when they were alive, they were seven hundred miles away from me, so I can't lean on them. But at any rate, you know it's so. There's it's like a yin yang kind of a thing, right? Where it's like even in the very very fast, find that kernel of the very slow. You know, like I'm I'm finding that you know, a meditative retreat into second attention or like a, you know, a witnessing state is extremely beneficial to my ability to slay my friends at Mario Kart. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, the same is true on the other pole. Um, and it's not like a pole exactly. It's a like a Mobius strip. Uh, But like on the other pole of the Mobius strip from that is walking around my neighborhood with, you know, my phone in my pocket ready to query the machine intelligence about the plants that I'm looking at so that I have a better sense of my, my local landscape and also better affordances, better handholds to explore the psychogeography of that landscape. It's, you know, it's human history and the way that people historically knew and navigated this space. I find that through uh, a Google search, basically, you know? So, you know, having, breeding this kind of comfort, uh, it's like a, a a magical toolkit, essentially, you know, An ability, an ability to, to walk through walls with respect and, and to, to change shape as fits the setting. And, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit before the call about, about like drone racing and like, actually like, like your, your map of your body is plastic. And so you can actually map yourself rather quickly into the, the, uh, body of a robot and then like be the drone and like race through a construction site. Uh, and that's damn near the same thing that, you know, that uh, practitioners of various medicine traditions have been doing for thousands of years. Yeah. You know, it's very, it's very Saruman, like mm-hmm. spying through the Raven kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of the, to the sense of, you know, to your point about this being an archaic revival, yes, but it's, it's you know, specifically in the way that Marshall McLuhan posed that, it is about a cultural retrieval in order to adapt to a a new landscape. It's not simply about things reverting to the way they were. It's about reclaiming that which uh, or like reactivating dormant parts of our own inheritance so as to have a full suite of capabilities online to navigate a completely uncertain landscape, you know?
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are at an hour and I know you have a time constraint. So I think that that's like a pretty soft spot to be landing. So, um, Thank you so much again for uh, sharing your wisdom and insight into this current day and age. Uh, I think the world needs more voices uh, as balanced as yours, respecting the old and also embracing the new without thinking they can't coexist. I think that this is uh, definitely the front line of what we should be doing. So I want to leave uh, the last little bit to you. Where can people find you? How can they interact with you? I know you've got a really good podcast, an online community. So... Yeah, how can people stay in touch?
1: I would push people through the Patreon first, but simply just because that has an enormous hashtag organized database uh, or archive of public posts, lots of free music and interesting discussions and artwork and stuff there, uh, and it is also the you know the best way to support this you know this this work takes many forms uh as you know i i paint and i i play music and i host two podcasts and i do a lot of online uh community development and i write essays and those things are all over the web but i think the best you know the best place to to start would be there. Uh, of course, you can find Future Fossils and Com- and Complexity podcast anywhere. Most of my music is anywhere you can find music. Uh, I'm working on on two albums right now. I'm about to to drop some new music here soon. Uh, I'm working on a painting that you can track the progress on Instagram. I'm I am uh, ho- you know I have a Discord community. I have a Facebook community, both under Future Fossils. I don't know. Find the, find the foothold that suits you yeah. and I'll meet you there. And, and thanks Brett for ha- taking the time. Oh, I, you know, I, 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 I do, uh, I think if, if people are interested in this kind of sense, making context provision kind of stuff, I'm on, I'm, I'm much more active on Twitter than I used to be. Mm-hmm. And that's been, that's been a great way to play ball with people yeah uh, yeah. thanks awesome. yeah of fun. course
0: yeah it has alright I will talk to you very soon thank you again so much for your time
1: yeah take care
0: alright my friends that was the episode thank you so much for listening all the way through till the end that was my friend Michael Garfield if you want to stay in touch with his platform head on over to michaelgarfieldart.com for a nice aggregate or patreon.com slash future fossils uh yeah he's got so much to offer so i definitely suggest uh in your life with his perspectives and the people that he's got in his circle are really really inspirational if you're into uh the intersection of science and art he really is nailing it unlike anyone that i've ever seen so yeah that was the episode y'all next week Two weeks out, we have the one and only Morgan Mandala joining the show. So, Morgan is a visionary artist that uh, you've probably seen work from if you are in the music festival scene. She's incredibly talented. She's been at Electric Forest, just about every other major music festival. She's really something special, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, If you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash 21stCenturyVitalism and give us a few ducats, the price of a cup of coffee a month will honestly help create a snowball effect where i can actually make ends meet on this podcast uh, if you don't want to support the show through ducats you can always head on over to apple podcast leave us a review subscribe on youtube likes on facebook instagram you're no stranger to the digital age if you listen all the way through to the end then you're very likely plugged into the haps of right now. So you know how to support us. I appreciate you if you do. I appreciate you if you don't. If you listen all the way to the end, you're awesome. I make this show for you. So all right, friends, we will see you in two weeks.